introduced to permaculture gardening techniques, right? But quickly got that it was a design science. I I was like, I have to change me. I can't I can't do this anymore. It was golden handcuffs. Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. My name's Cormac Harkin, and today we have Brian Norton with us. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how are you, Cormac? Yeah, all good. Uh, thanks uh, very much for coming on to the podcast. Do you just want to give a, a quick introduction? 30 seconds, I know it's difficult, but <laughs> with all the stuff you've no, done, but no. g- give it a go anyway. Uh, yeah, 30 seconds. Uh, uh-huh. I, I was uh, a kid out of business school that figured it out, really like did well in the corporate machine, and eventually decided it was not a healthy way to live for me, for the planet, for anything. And at the same time, I was introduced to permaculture gardening techniques, right? But quickly got that it was a design science and uh, went to work on myself. I lost over a hundred pounds. I quit corporate America altogether, uh, became a sensei and uh, started down the path to Basically, I worked with cannabis patients back before you could just go and get it. Um, and my argument always was that if you're you're stage four brain cancer and you're in bed on a morphine drip, how are you supposed to go garden for yourself? Just it didn't make any sense, right? Like you have the right to take care of yourself, but only you and you can't have help and like but you're in a hospital bed. So yeah, so that got me uh really hooked hooked up to permaculture in the growing space um i got really going with uh, one of the first i think big gardeners to, to use led tech in the cannabis space back when everybody said like it couldn't be done it would never work stuff can't flower <laughs> i'm really good at not listening to people who tell me shit can't be done or when it when i hear those exact words it can't be done with the permaculture concept of an infinite number of solutions to every problem, only real choice is picking the most elegant one. So when I hear can't be done, it's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. It's like, fuck, okay, this might be the stupidest thing to waste eight years on, but I'm going to ram it up here. Yeah, because I'm going to show you <laughs> it can be done. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I lo- so yeah, so I'm not afraid of hard things. I love to do them because they're hard. Or because they're the right way to do things. They're in, right? Working at a permaculture scale. I was trying to explain. Somebody was the other day was getting all teed up to go rent a piece of big equipment and just start knocking some shit down and get going on a thing. And I said, how many hours do you think you're going to put in on man hours on that project? And he spat it off like about 100, 100 machine hours. I was like, great. So per the math. You're going to show me on your calendar where you've put in the 900 human man hours of thinking before you spend one hour, right? Nine to one, you're supposed to observe before you interact. <laughs> and that just, like, you don't think you're, you know, you haven't thought about this like that. You're just going to start ripping off the, okay. Like, nothing could go wrong, right? Yeah. Type one, got, type one airs, that's what we say. Yeah. For a reason. It's, and you can't slow people down, right? That don't understand the concept of a type one error in general. You have to, they, you have to have a whole other conversation of that before you can, they'll hear any advice that like, Hey, my one buddy 
was big in finance, but loved brewing, right? So his taking the money and running was going to be open this big brewery. But I understood multi-tier distribution and the mob that you were going to have to deal with in Chicago and the actual bribe, all, all the undersurface things of running a thing like that, right? And uh, no matter, you couldn't have a conversation about like the downside on this is so, like you have to fly the Star Trek through the asteroid field at any point you explode, but nobody can hear that. Because they don't, they don't understand that you have the knowledge already. And you've been there. You're trying to tell them like you're going at a Type One error at warp speed. You know, buckle up. But if you don't understand the concept, you don't get it. If you haven't made one, you re you really don't get it. Oh, I made one or two. <laughs> yeah, uh, living with them is oh, when I when I got my uh, uh, so okay. So I live on a quarter acre in the city by Seattle. Um, so like everywhere else around me is I got duplexes next door and, you know, 0.18 acres and 0.18, like tiny postage stamp little spots. Um, so having a quarter acre in that land is kind of like, oh, I got a big yard. <laughs> um, and the very first thing we did when we bought this place 12 years ago is we ripped out every piece of vegetation that wasn't edible. Like, the neighbors were horrified. The bushes were all getting pulled out with pickup trucks and chains and like the grass just stripped out. Um, I dug big ponds in the front yard that are interconnected underground for our koi system that like now feeds a whole aquaponic system. The whole roof area of the house is water mitigated. It either goes through one of my water collection systems or it runs through one of the pond systems before well, <laughs> the other thing we did with all the vegetation that was here is we sent it through a shredder. And uh, in Seattle, right, culture is for uh, mountain culture, supposed to be steep. Run, you know, you're stopping running water and making it infiltrate. But here we have like too much water. But the sponge concept was super interesting because it's dry for like 90 to 120 days during the summer, like won't rain. But all winter it rains. So the entire quarter acre perimeter, I dug about a foot and a half hole, two foot hole, and we shredded everything that was not staying and shoved it in the hole and then put the dirt back on. So I've got a two foot raised perimeter hoogle mound now. So all the water leaving the property can't, it hits that mound and infiltrates. And now 11 years later, all that wood has become spongiform and we don't turn it watering on for the 120 day drought or 100 day drought in the summer and the yard just looks like an oasis it's pretty hilarious i, I would i'd love to get a drone footage of it one of these days just uh you know and everybody's like oh all this stuff i'm like no i don't i don't do anything the doing the part was 11 years ago when i designed it and, and now i just come out here sit in the chair and smoke weed and enjoy it so <laughs> right Let, let's get back to the very start then uh yeah yeah how you were in business, you discovered permaculture and that story, and then how, how, how that progressed from finding so, out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was listening to Jack Spierko, the survival podcast, um, right when I, I I was selling big commercial coffee for a huge company in Seattle. So I traveled 256 days a year. I knew every pilot. I knew every bartender in every airport in America. It was horrible. So... I, I was like, I have to change me. I can't do, 
I can't do this anymore. And it was golden handcuffs, right? They just throw money at you continually so you don't go away. So try making a decision to go do a real thing, like produce plants or like help people, like such a significant step down if you haven't prepared yourself and been a good saver, right? You're 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 hostage to the machine. So yeah, for step one was like the prepper plan of like water and beans and bullets and band-aids is great. But if you're golden handcuffed to a death machine, you're still golden handcuffed. So yeah, getting how to get out. Um, so Jack was going through the discovering permaculture and doing all the like, just talking about, you know, the, the observe and interact and the, uh, you know, the three, the three things that sell the earth and it has to be sustainable, has to pr produce enough to make itself run after it started. Right. All of that was like, oh, this, this is all this is all how organizations work. Um, so I kind of kind of saw it to the organization thing earlier. But I also realized you got to jettison yourself out of this. But I love coffee, but there's so much other shit to do. So I got myself ready to jettison. I got the stupidest job I could find in sales that I could clock in like literally four hours a week and get paid a full salary. So we did that for two years and I just milked it and I built this place. So I built an 800 square foot greenhouse by hand, converted another 400 square foot building to a, a sweet indoor growth space back then, um, all decked out with LED. And then, uh, yeah, then we flipped on and became a duck and uh, a duck farm and a nursery. I had a non-compete where I was not allowed to be in the beverage industry at all, anything for two years. <laughs> so I was like, ah, this duck thing sounds good. Selling eggs, you know, like they multiply themselves. And, and I got to, so I really learned Muscovy ducks. Um, that was my first introduction to like permaculture animal based system. Um, and just, yeah, we had 54 here at one point. Um, so I was selling a good amount of duck eggs and a good amount of ducks every year. And then, uh, yeah, then we became a nursery. Uh, we started doing the farmer's markets. So we were selling all kinds of house plants and just vegetable starts, whatever. Um, until the end of the second year when my non-compete ended, I went out and I uh, bought myself a really nice, uh, smallest commercial roaster you can get, roast coffee by air. Um, so you're not roasting an exhaust gas stream. So we opened up a micro roastery and uh, started serving coffee at the farmer's market for years. Um, that was, uh, it was interesting getting, getting back into coffee at the super micro scale, at the, right? I thought I was at the biggest scale you could get and now re-entering it from the tiniest scale, handmade everything, knowing each customer's name, what they like, why they like what they like, all the, oh, it's just, yeah, it was a totally other way of of being in the industry. Um, so, but the sound of it, you've done every single business there is to do on a home on a on a on a sort of your own property. So it was good for you coming in there. You had the business, so everything you learned in permaculture was sort of built around that business and entrepreneurial side. Right. It's yeah, and and uh, you know, like what makes a living system strong is it's it's not relying on any one thing right is super resilient you can't take out any any one thing and kill a forest because you know it it all works together it has defenses so the same thing when you go to set up your own entrepreneurial life away from the 
away from the jobs, you have to do the same thing. You have to set up multiple income streams that are kind of unrelated and not in the same ballpark so that if any one thing doesn't go so well, other stuff goes fantastically well. Um, that was So our permaculture project is 15 acres out on the Key Peninsula. So it's about 50 miles. Uh, if you look at a map of Seattle, it's across the water. It's out where the other mountain range is. Um, so yeah, we, we got three five acre parcels. Um, we had the last owner certify that they had never applied a chemical in the time that they'd owned the land. And people who owned the land before them was like 80 years. So it, it's, it was just forest. Um, but I had them certify it just in case we ever wanted to get organic farming certification so we get fast tracked. Um, but yeah, we, it was, a so it was, a uh, the logging company came in and back, they just raped it. They just cut everything down, mulched it, just took everything away. There's still, there's still only about four inches of, of topsoil two inches in some spot of what has come back in the last 11 years or so um so it was all like eight foot tall overgrown blackberry and random scrub pine trees so we had a little tiny tractor at first um but then i just kind of got back to the like you know what i'm gonna do this project by hand because I have to work so much slower when I'm not using a diesel tractor and I use hand saws and walk around with like push behind lawnmower now to mow my 10 acres, <laughs> which sounds absolutely insane. But I literally know every tree, every tree. Like I've cut all my pine up to about 20 foot. So it's now like walking through a cathedral and I, I'm trying to mimic a savanna system, right? So my glades should be twice as large as the tallest tree so that sunlight goes everywhere. So it's changed. In the beginning, I was in a hurry. That's why we got that little tractor, right? To knock stuff down and put stuff where I want it, right? But I, the the thing that, the, yeah, type one error, here we go. <laughs> the thing that taught me the lesson was the road. I established the road because that's where the neighbors had literally driven in to throw garbage in my field before I owned it. When we first bought it, we hauled out 11,000 pounds of garbage. Oh. But because that's where the doofuses had driven their pickup trucks and thrown trash into my, you know, what is now my space that I'm managing. That's where I put the road because it was there because it was easy because I didn't stop and sit down and think about access right the proper yeah. way and do a design I, so yeah that that one mistake took me uh i just fixed it last year six years six effing years to fix so yeah that's why I think about things and really think about them and then go do the thing and even while you're doing it think about it because yeah I, I didn't i didn't realize you had two separate plots no you saw your home and then your project so for me at the minute I'm going through a process of uh, eleven and tenth of an acre, so we're we're moving out for for a while. So I'm looking to find a place, and that option seems more and more the best option because I, ha I have the house place in the city. It's, it's only a hundred thousand people here. It's not a big city, but we have access to everything. Kids go to school here. Grandparents, it makes sense to stay here and have a few chickens, but then I sort of the aspiration is to get more land and to get that project. 
How do you manage that? Having you said, was it fifty miles away or? It's fifty miles. It's forty-five miles. It's exactly an hour. Um, so, yeah, I'm torn on that so much. Um, the city has become so expensive. If I evict myself and rent this place, I never have to work a day in my life. I'm right. done. <laughs> Literally, I could I would build myself a little thing or go get a can. I will live in camp. Like so my wife's coming around to the idea of mm, not being here permanently. Um she was <laughs> do you know yeah, you know what a deadhead is? Grateful dead? No. No, okay, okay. So I was gonna say she's a New York deadhead and I have a West Coast deadhead uh, that got together. But you know, it's like uh so people that followed the band from town to town, tour to tour, and you know, that that is your life, selling shit on the road, buying shit on the road, arbitrage. So she, when she was a youngster with her kids, lived in a tent on the road following them in very I mean, that was back in the eighties when there wasn't cell phones and easy that was it was hard living. So for to get her now to re-envision us mobily moving around doing different stuff living out of the property right it, it brings flashbacks of uh, living in a tent on the road as a hippie kid but she's coming around she's coming around so yeah my i don't have I, our city that we live in is exactly a hundred thousand people as well it's it's so much of everything right next door and we live in the old neighborhood so we were right by downtown so i literally am four blocks from everything you could think of to need walmart's two blocks from my house <laughs> uh not that i love walmart but as far as a walking place or everything's right here yeah yeah so i don't know i'm torn i would live out there in a heartbeat but i, I don't you know yeah for me as, as well as it's the kids soccer clubs uh, all the clubs they have, it's convenient. Uh, so that's what I might say looking at them. And it is my preferred option is to find a place in town and have that place where I can go and take it from there. But and again, realistically, like, why do you want what you want? Right. So that's the whole taking time to think about the things. It's like, yeah, I know everybody says that's the dream and they want to run off and do it. I'm doing it two or three days a week. Like I go out there for eight, 10 hours at a time and just, non-stop work on my tree do some stuff um but it but the thing is that land is appreciating so fast it it basically is appreciating more than a salary a year so i'm growing a land tree that i will harvest at some point that's why i bought three properties yeah. So I don't have to go through the governmental problem of breaking them and asking permission to make them smaller and blah, 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 blah. What, and by making one a showpiece, right, the other two can carry the same value because the designer is standing there saying, I, along with selling this to you, if you want that to look like this, I will happily do that. It would just be a continuation of this, what looks like a park cathedral on the other side of the line. If yes. you would like to put that in the sales price, there will be an extra charge, but you can have your fun in the city. And when you come out, your place will look like this and you don't have to bleed through the Blackberry destruction if you don't want to, because I love to do it. 
<laughs> yeah, right, so demonstrate and then yeah, it's yeah. a demonstration site. And well, so I just had a big problem with the city uh yesterday. So we had to close. We were letting people go camp on the land. In America, we have this thing, hip camp. Um you let people camp on your land, but uh, apparently my neighbor that uh, makes meth at the end of the road <laughs> had a problem with people camping in tents on my place. <laughs> so she called the city and yeah, they got mad. Uh, I still think I'm right. I, yeah, for, yeah. Uh, but you know what? You don't poke the bee. Don't, don't poke the bear. So yeah, they wanted it closed. So great. Closed. Uh, if you go on my foodforestfarms.com website right now, so now we're starting to work on what used to be that page as uh, a living interpretive trail that's going to be also hooked into the internet. So anytime anybody goes out there, there's a half mile perimeter trail that we've made. Um, you take a picture of anything you see that's living and you use the contact me at the bottom foodforestfarms.com and send me the picture. And like, I, I saw this on your land and it was over in this area. And I'll put it up in there and we'll get the genus and species and what it's for and what it's medicine. So in the future, we're going to make little cards that kind of tap in the ground. I'm trying to think about, could I laser engrave aluminum, like old pop cans, cut them and turn them inside out and laser engrave on the aluminum and then, you know, nail them onto a little wood, wood plaque. So they'll be around forever. Uh, but then when you're walking around, you can scan the plaques, right? And it will tell you the thing you're looking at. Uh, like I build a database of your, your land. Yeah, so, so I let everybody help me build a database that comes out to walk the trail because they've discovered the next thing, right, that isn't already on the list. It'll be like bird watchers. Uh, <laughs> like, we've already found like 60 different kinds of mushrooms. Um, it's uh, it's a the, the neighbor's a cedar forest. I'm a pine forest with alders. Um, and there's some maple. So you have a lot of different fungal nets that are kind of working in concert. Um, and the bottom lower end goes down into some wetlands. And that forest on the lower side of me to the north has not been cut, I think, for 91 years now. So it, it has some old characteristic to it, um, which just, yeah, it's so fun. It's, yeah, working with land, just being... I consider myself more a steward of the land. It, you know, there's no chemicals allowed on my place at all, period, whatever. Um, we went to all electric tools with these power electric chainsaws. Holy smoke. I've, I'm still on my first Ryobi. I haven't burned it out yet. I burned out a couple of the 26 inch trimmers. Um, but yeah, these new, these new six amp hour battery packs. I cannot outlast three six amp hour battery packs on the chainsaw. That's it'll go longer now, Bill. That's ten hour day. Uh, so you just charge them in the house and then take them. E. Yeah, just take a little milk crate out and four or five of them in there, and I don't go through all of them. And that even powers. So the oh, this is a great permaculture thing too. Just a, I was renting the big uh, brush cutters and things. Now we got the middle end Ryobi. Uh, mulching lawnmower with the big battery packs and now i machete stuff down to about 18 inches and i let it sit for two weeks and die off a little bit and then i just come back with the hand mower mulcher and it as long as you just keep changing the blade out once a week or so so it's sharp just and it shreds the stuff that it's mulching so fine that it doesn't grow back 
and that it instantly starts becoming like biodegradable. Um, and yeah, once we do that and then overseed it with pasture mix, the grass wins the battle from there on out. So that's kind of been the battle is whack the, I talked to an old, uh, the old blueberry farmer up north and, uh, I was doing, yeah, it was a whole other job, but yeah, I was just happy to be hanging out and notice like, Hey, you didn't spray it. This looks like an old place. And I said, how'd you get your field back from the blackberries? And he said, three years, you just battle it, cut it, kill it. If you do that for three years and don't let it vegetative growth, the roots run out of energy and they just stop, especially if you're planting grasses. So that's the, uh, yeah, I mean, every, <laughs> for years i would post pictures of just my arms bullying coming home from i mean eight foot blackberry an inch and a half thick's no joke no we battled it with fucking double machetes <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. I, I wouldn't fancy that battle myself they're uh, all just like spray it spray it spray it. i'm like you don't like you can't i can't talk to you <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so you, you said you're, you're a designer are you self-trained uh, have you done a, have you a PDC or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this was interesting. So that, when I first found out it was like 2010, 2011, way back. Um, so that was when I was spending just an inordinate amount of time on airplanes. Um, Apple iTunes university had just come out. That was kind of the first online attempt at, at learning, right? It was kind of pre YouTube. Um, so yeah. Uh, Will Booker taught, um, permaculture 401 for north carolina state college and they allowed him to upload that college class onto apple itunes university so i attended i guess my first pdc flying back and forth across america listening to like every week a new episode would come out um so that was that was my introduction to it as like a formal system when I knew about Bill and about the book and about like a, you know, a formalized design. Um, so I did that. Uh, and then I discovered Paul Wheaton. Have you, you know about Paul? Yeah. yeah, I, often, yeah. So, I, I often reference him in this show because of his, uh, his leadership style. <laughs> yeah. His, his, uh, I, at one point where he kept saying, you have to listen to all my stuff before you can come out here and all that. I had listened to every, so I had listened to over a thousand hours of Wheaton. So I got his ethic. Why he was, but I thought all of his stuff on community living and the living and the different types of community living and the different problems with each and how he tried to solve it on his own place. Brilliant. <laughs> and I know he gets, you know, he takes a lot, he takes a lot of shit, but you know, I completely disagree with him on his whole cannabis stand. Right. I think every living thing on earth is equal. I, I don't have hate for any plant, right? Just just because a government hates a plant maybe makes me interested in it even more because usually that means the secret sauce is the thing they're pointing to like look away from. So yeah, but I understand his thing with not wanting to, his not want to fuck with the man or have have be, be messed with overrides what i think is a, a massively healing plant that can get so many people off of farmies that that is why it's still a schedule one drug in the united states schedule one means no known no known medical use 
right? By its own definition, it's absurd. <laughs> I think there's enough evidence out there to uh, dispute that. And it's now being used in evidence-based yeah. medicine where they have uh, because now the lids off on the trials, right? And you can it's the same thing when the when the the virus was going around. The the very first two weeks of that, remember it started 14 miles from my house. That first old folks home, the very first one in the United States, that was 14 miles from my house. So the next day I signed up to drive for DoorDash. So I knew it was coming. The locky lock. I, I think I, I system think I had really quickly. I was like, oh, okay, fuck. Okay, I got this. <laughs> so what do you need to drive anywhere in a pandemic? Uh, <laughs> be essential. Drive, deliver the food. You, then you can go to and doctors order a lot. So you get to go to the hospital and see what's going on a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, was, uh, it was interesting. I, uh, even the, like hemp, you need a license to grow hemp here, which is bizarre. And I, there's no cannabinoids in it. There's no, you don't get high off it. And no, no. I, I need a, a like, you need a license to grow it. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, you make sense. Perm permission and plants do not go together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it was interesting. So when they launched the hemp for Washington state, I went to that, uh, launch meeting with my attorney buddy. And we were going to start, we were going to sell picks to the miners, right? Instead of going to mine and gold, sell picks in blue jeans. Um, so we were going to open up an industrial drying facility because after they have harvested it, they have to dry it. Um, then you can just charge a per ton rate and whether they have a good day or a bad day, you're going to get paid. So after that meeting though, this big old farmer at the end, industrial ag, stands up in his overalls and he snaps his bibs and he and he just says, welcome to the oil farm and business, boys. <laughs> and he laughs and he walked off the mm -hmm. stage and all the people that were lured into it because the cannabis and the big money and the coverage quick, right? They didn't understand what he just told them because they couldn't, they didn't understand what what they were really getting into he was trying to tell them you are about to become a soy farmer right you're uh you're gonna grow a thing it's gonna get sent to industrial processing to strip the oils out of it and they are gonna pay it doesn't matter the quality <laughs> quality be damned they're paying for the oil percentage in the thing when it reaches the plant to be shredded and destroyed and put into the industrial system it's a race to the bottom. It's a race to how fast can you thin out? How badly can you treat employees? How horribly can you treat the land and get away with it to just get barely by to maximize your profit? It was, he was welcoming to the industrial ag world and they didn't get that. That's what he was saying. Uh, and do you, here, do you want to buy a tractor? <laughs> boom. Oh no, uh, it was the biggest squish boom ever because uh, everybody went out and start got their per So the state was brilliant at this, right? They offered permits by the acre unlimited, right? What's going to happen? Everybody pays them. <laughs> they all grow. They glut the market so bad. There's so much stuff. It couldn't go through the, the industrial processors, right? Because there's you can only shove so much stuff through a factory. So all the shit, just 90% of it rotted. And all those guys went bankrupt. And all the smart money sat on the side for a year or two, let them go blow it. 
and then boom, buy all of it back up at 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah, it's uh, in industrial everything. It's just once as soon as you get a third party external actor involved in a market that isn't the buyer or the seller, it's parasitic. You know, and you can a body can take a parasitic load for a while. But after a while, it destroys you from the inside, just eats it out. And that's, I mean, that's why the hemp farming in America is, is where it is right now. So let's, let's get back on track a wee bit. You're studying Apple, uh, the Apple University, and then you get, yeah, yeah. You, you so get your I property. Think, What's the I first think, thing you sort of start implementing? The... the we needed access. We couldn't get in there except for the, the pickup trucks. It'd be like, it was 10. I had, I didn't see the far corner of my 10 acres on the one side of the road until three years ago. Right. So it took me five years to find the back corner. Uh, I finally ended up paying a survey company to come do a proper survey because my thought was I just follow their guys till they find the line and then I'm going to see the other side of the property. I'm like, I want to see how they get through the safe foot blackberry. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Bamboo canes, eight foot, one inch thick bamboo. And they make the newest guy beat the trail through the blackberry. That's how they do it. Cause he, and I was like, that's an interesting tool you choose there. And uh, he said, yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to swing this thing like a hundred thousand times today. So bamboo is the lightest thing that will smash brush. So there you go. No fancy farming tools. This is an old stick of bamboo. Um, but yeah, we tore off and uh, found that back corner. And then I kind of had, you know, from the topo maps and all that are great. You can do all that stuff. Great. But you still have to get access is the biggest thing. We had to get into it and clear it enough to kind of had crisscross pass all through it right so then the last four years everything's been uh we've been expanding all the all the paths but now it's swiss cheese and you're expanding all the holes from the inside a little bit at a time as you go around it all the time so it's uh it was so funny everybody keep going <laughs> i kept here like yeah how long do you think this is gonna take you i, I like we're like people thought i would never get done because it's it's like the exponential curve right it doesn't look like anything's happening clearing wise when you clear like that for a long time. Cause you're first, I had to make the whole perimeter trail, right. And then an X that went through the middle and then trails off the X that are starting to go around. And then now the last part of raising the trees and open it all up. Boom. This year, if you've seen any of my videos on YouTube, um, I'm putting short, a uh, short, trying to put a short out a day. Um, it just shows the transformation and now you can get what you, you can there's space so the first thing i cleared what i wanted was an amphitheater in the woods um like i said my wife and i are deadheads and now fish heads uh so we love live music loud and i love light shows love 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 it uh so yeah so we built ourselves. oh this is yeah, perfect so this is where other permaculturists sometimes get a little mad at me. <laughs> Everybody's waste stream, right, is not a waste stream. It is just a stream of product that you named waste because you don't like it. Mm. So that's why 
so I'll get back to it. Styrocrete is my current project with the basis of removing all the rock and sand and using styrofoam in its place. I've seen that, but it was... people, they're horrified of it, right? Because, oh, fuck, you're, you're building all this stuff with styrofoam. Like, right, it exists. Like, it exists, period. That's a sentence. So now what are you going to do about it? I'm not going to worry one millisecond about it existing, right? Because I'm not going to stop giant corporation death mill from making crap. So got over that because I can't stop it. I will advocate every time for somebody packaging me stuff not to put styrofoam in it, right? And I don't use styrofoam cups in my business, all the choices I can make, but I can't control that other shit. So I feel no compunction at all of taking an industrial waste stream capturing it and using it for the benefit of me and to isolate it right and you know benefit other people on the planet if we can build super super insulative warm safe dry spaces for humans for i don't know a hundred or three hundred dollars a dwelling f so What's the real problem with homelessness in Seattle, in Portland, in LA? Is it the fact that nobody can think of how to do that and build those dwellings when the government doesn't enforce its own rules and they put up the handyman tough sheds in the city park parking lots, right? And put up 300 sheds and call it a, a homeless village. All they did was not enforce their building codes on themselves, right? They allowed you to live in a non-livable structure per them. And it's okay. They do, they don't, the they, don't they, uh, governments don't break the law. They act unlawfully. <laughs> right. That, that's so what they say here. <laughs> yeah. As, soon, as yeah. soon as the rule set becomes all available options because they don't have to follow any rule, then the solution is clear, right? Oh, hey, this is way better living in a tent. You've got a real roof and a window and a, some privacy and the rain doesn't come in and you're not so cold, but it doesn't meet the building code and it won't employ many builders and it won't employ many union plumbers because they don't have plumbing and it won't employ any electricians because LED is so cheap now. Why would you bother putting wires in? So nobody benefits if we build them houses or shelters right? Nobody benefits. Well, they do. I mean, the homeless people benefit, right? It's a better life for them, but the system doesn't benefit because if they're homed or sheltered, well, they don't need services. And if they don't need services, you don't have to collect from me to get the money to give them services because they're taking care of themselves, right? I mean, shit, if I could build 10 of those in my upper driveway and have 10 pods up there and let people come and go as they wanted to and what would it hurt me to let a couple of people stay warm and dry on my upper driveway? Yeah. Right. But I can't do it. I can't help them. Or a guy with a gun will come shove it in my face and take my place. So, yeah, yeah. What's so permaculture thinking, right? What's the, the problem is the solution. The problem is the solution. When I come up to a problem like that, I'll sit for, I don't know, a long time and just say that the, say I'm a permaculture mantra to myself I, i'm a buddhist i meditate a lot and just that's why i love to think about the problem think about it just meditate on it the answer is there it will come out it will just as soon as you're open to all set of answers coming in 
it's there. You just have to pick the right one. Sorry, yeah. I get on. No, it's all right. Uh, for me, I don't, I don't so much as meditate, but I do let solutions, let, let the back of my brain just sort the solution out because it comes to you eventually. Uh, right, like put it uh, in the file and, and, and keep yourself busy doing other shit. And uh, it was, ding, ding, and I, it's, it's happened a lot where uh, I worked in like uh, electronics manufacturing. You're trying to fix a board, trying to fix it, and you can't do it, and you can't do it. You go, right, I'll just, at the time I smoked, I'll just go for a smoke. And then you're sitting That's smoking, it. and you're not even thinking about it. You're going, ah. And away you go. You the solution like you just, ah. Uh, and then we because, designed yeah. as well. I like to stew on it for a week just to let that, just to let the, the brain go at it and, and process it before you jump to any sort of put anything on paper. Right. Yeah. Because you can, you can redesign it in your head. I don't know, 10 times a second. <laughs> it, it's paper so slow and so long. You know, if, if you just start thinking about like, okay, could you do that? Then, then you got to attack it. Like wind, rain, snow, load. Like what's, okay, what's all going to attack this thing? for this thing. Like, yeah, it, it's just. So get the base, get the base map up and then leave that sitting for a few days and just, you know what? You know what components need to go on, and I just let it go for a week, and then you when you when you sat down to do it, then it's to me it's easier. <laughs> it's just yeah. In the whole permaculture concept of of energy flows, right? This would, I just reminded me looking at my tapestry by me. Yeah, the the like accounting for energy in the system and the inflows and the outflows. Most people don't even see the energy coming into a property, right? The, the wind bringing the moist air down like by do like what like, all, just all the stuff the way the water moves how fast the water moves it, it, just does it pool here does it pool there why <laughs> uh and like, even even before that i always start with a person uh, uh where's your yeah. kitchen walk out to the backyard and where's the first spot you come to things like that how, how the person based interacts are they energetic are they high energy low energy mid energy how much work can they put on it and do they, do they want to learn are they willing to learn do they want it easy all these things and then you have to sort of set the expectations that uh you're gonna have to actually do some work here <laughs> yeah yeah in, in all uh, of our paths around this place have every like right by the barbecue there's sage oregano thyme rosemary all the stuff that i used to cook on the barbecue we don't even bother like having spices really in the house anymore because it's kind of it's, it's right there <laughs> it just put put the thing where you're going to use it and it's amazing how little you need <laughs> now i got like four huge sage plants i couldn't possibly use that in a million years and i give it so much wood away but yeah like abundance right make more on purpose you, you really don't need a quarter acre is a lot of land it's whew, oh yeah you should okay so aquaponics in the beginning right i was telling you i went down the road with leds super fun um yeah some quick advice for everybody if you're looking at getting leds for growing things you want the diodes each each point of light to be three watts or more if it's not more than three watts, it doesn't have penetrative depth power to get through the canopy to give the plant the energy. So if you're looking at a fixture that says 300 watts and it has 300 diodes, each diode's one watt, 
no go. <laughs> They're, those are the super cheap ones that are everywhere. As long as you're three to five watts, I think there's been, uh, more than five. There's also a thing of overkill. A plant can only absorb so many photons in a day. And if you're industrial cannabis farming, right, you're using super high-powered lights. This one talk I went to, uh, God, I forgot, it was a guy from High Times, because uh, cannabis plants are photo, they, they run on photoperiodism, so they count hours of darkness. In the old days, before there was technology and people really knew the, the, the specifics, they would just run lights to flower 12 on, 12 off. So it made sure to tell the plant to do its flower job. But if you're running industrially thousand watt lamps, a lot of them gets really expensive. So after eight hours, if you've got your, if you, if you're up like 50 Watts a square foot, they can't absorb any more photons. It's been proven crops that have run on eight hours of light versus 12 hours of light. The cannabis plants grow exactly the same. It was a Shazam moment. It's like, Whoa, you mean the electric bill? You just go whack a third of it on like, 50% off or a third off, right? 12 hours to eight hours. Bam. So yeah, so plants, yes. there's a limit. To Some, I, I just learned that this year. Somebody, somebody said they grew tomatoes with six hours sunlight a day. <laughs> it's like... Uh, Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. And uh, yeah, it's taught me a lot. You know, like they really don't need a lot of leaves to stay alive at all. Like none. And you'd be surprised. So yeah, a lot of stuff. And oh yeah, well, well, aquaponics. That's where I was going. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah, I my actual company's uh, South Sound Aquaponics LLC. We're the oldest operating aquaponics company in Washington. Um, but I've done system aquaponics system designs for, for a long time. My system is called the Living River System. So the idea was, as I would fly back and forth, I would look down and see all these rivers across the country. They're just green veins. I mean, it's it's like looking at a vein. So you just see the green the green lines. It's all the rivers and tributaries. So then I got thinking, like, okay, at that point I was into I was doing hydroponics, right? And but I had started hearing aquaponic, 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 and then it hit me like, oh goddamn, nobody turns a river on and off every thirty seconds. There's no bell siphon on the Mississippi. That's ridiculous. Look at how huge those trees grow right on the riverbanks, right? The trees self-select how far back from the moving water source they want to be to be optimal. And they put themselves in the right place and they grow like crazy. So my systems all are continuous run, nonstop, underneath the surface. So the trees have to fight to put their stuff down, which makes them grow way bigger root systems faster. And they just roll. And then by running like a $9 little tiny, like I have a huge fig tree and lemon tree in the greenhouse that have been running on the same $9 pump for the last 10 years. It, it just runs continuously, just trickles water that falls back to the tank. Um, that was the other thing that I learned. If you, the amount of oxygenation that you will get in an aquaponic system by using all the fancy stainless air diffusers and rock, blah, 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 high pressure. Nature does it. Falling water. You let your stuff fall back into the return tank, right? Like 
a ribbon of falling water or the most number of holes. So you're creating the most amount of like drips, not just a, not just a hose back, right? If falling water into a system breaks the surface tension and oxygenates the water, the most economically. Not going to say you can't crank the oxygen level up artificially with high pressure air and diffusers and stuff, but you're spending so much more money to raise a thing such a tiny little bit at, over what nature will do for you if you just let it do it. So, yeah, yeah. check out uh, some of my old podcasts, Living River System. Um, and then <laughs> recently I met Dr. Barry, who's big on the whole like beef, butter, bacon, eggs, right? And then you don't need all this growing stuff. Um, so yeah, I went down that whole path the last two years and I've just gotten, I dropped another like 25 pounds, got ripped. And, uh, so now I'm in an ethical quandary. I've designed, if anybody wants it, it's back in my old podcast. Go look. It's called the billion dollar thing you can have for free. It, it's a aquaponic system that will run off solar and a drip system with almost zero energy in and just produce green food. But I don't eat any green food. None. <laughs> None. Uh, so now I'm at this ethical dilemma with my place. I was about to start farming next, right? Clearing's done. Farming was next. What I've planted a lot of fruit and nut trees, but I don't believe in eating green stuff anymore. Animals eat green stuff for me. I'll eat the animal. So now I'm like, oh, okay, we're back to Muscovy ducks and pigs and cows. And I'm, I'm going to go that way. Um, so yeah, I designed that aquaponic system to grow unlimited greens. It's a, it's too, it's a too big pillar. Po okay. The whole, if you take an acre of land and yeah, and you, you know, with the piece of paper in the permaculture class and you put the little 45 degree folds in it and you, you know, you shrink it up like an accordion. Right now, your acre square on a global map, because it has contour, is now an acre and a half of surface area. And now you've created microclimates and all that, yada, yada. Okay. But aquaponics grows so much faster. What if you had 30-foot high poles with chains that ran across them and garden beds that went up one side and down the other side? So the other thing is, out here in the summer in the 120 day drought, everything dies. So everybody spends so much money and time and effort putting shade cloth up over everything. I did too. It was ridiculous. So if you make a system like that, that every time the sun is out, hits the solar panel, starts the water pump rolling, it dumps water on the higher shelves on one side, right? They become heavier. They pull yeah. themselves down. Water drips out into the pond that's right beneath it. When it goes to the bottom, it's empty. It just keeps pulling the front side down. But what it does is it makes the sun only able to hit the trays about 60% of the time. Because when they're on the front way down, right, they're getting sunlight directly. And then when they're on the way back, they're in the shade with dappled sunlight. So spend all the money to build hoops, to put shade up, or just build a system that integrates shade into itself. Yeah. That's definitely and some crazy inventor stuff there. Uh, 
yeah so like it's so funny and i got the i got the reba i got the post out there i had somebody donate me a truck axle that's a couple thousand dollars it's because it's going to be heavy that's the thing there but i envisioned a whole acre of them every 20 feet 30 foot towers front and back so now your acre has become two acres of growable space or three acres depends how tall you get whatever your sun angle is for latitude you got to figure out the calculations for you know what percentage of shade do you want peak summer but yeah yeah. i somebody build it i for me it's it's, i always tend to go to the uh lazier side of things i don't want to be maintaining machines I, I work all day. No, with, I, 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 I work all day with machines fixing them. It's like I don't want to come home and start to fix stuff and figure stuff out. And and, and I, I like to just throw spuds in the ground and I throw chicken manure yeah. on top of it, compost every once a year. <laughs> the the elegance in the system though is making them so they don't have to be maintained. Like my aquaponics thing at the greenhouse is run now for ten years nonstop, and it it's there's no timers. There's nothing to break. The one pump and all the return drains are open. You could hear it dumping to the tank. When you walk through that greenhouse and you don't hear like you're in a rainforest, now you'll know. you know immediately like, oh, the breaker's off. Like it doesn't take, it's not eight days for me to notice a problem because I haven't had like underground return lines that are all cycling back on a timer. And pump. I, no, no, no. Just raise the water up enough to run through the thing and dump back into the tank. It's visual. It's audio. Right? And, and, I don't know. Simplicity right. in design. That's that's the thing. Two last questions now. Uh, what you, what's your plans for the future on the property? Have you anything, in the, anything coming up? Uh, so every summer. Um, so I have this crazy coffee club. Um so my club members by their awesomeness of like buying coffee every month for me and make a predictable kind of income stream that I can have fun with or do projects. Um, so we're expanding the amphitheater and on the summer solstice, whatever day of the week that is, our party starts at noon, high noon on the solstice. And it goes till the following Sunday on the campfire never goes out until Sunday. This year it happens to be Friday. So it's going to be Friday, Saturday, roll out Sunday. Last year it was Wednesday to Sunday. Just, just happens to be how it, how it works out. Um, so we do things uh, like Ted talks. Um, we do squatch talks. It's uh, if you look for my festival, it's called the squatchfest.com. So yeah, our first talk was uh, Anthony Samaroff, who wrote the book uh, UBI for and against uh, Scottish uh, economist. He was awesome. The second speaker was the head of Washington State uh, Child Psychiatrics that talked about uh, entheogenic medicines. Um, let's see, we've had uh, who else do we have out there? Um, uh, the guy from Survival Podcast, John the uh, John Pugliano, the uh, Investable Wealth Coach. He came out to like talk about how base you know young folks like you there's a time horizon like you have working time like cap like is great because he teaches money from permaculture perspective and survivalist perspective of like you know it just it's it's a, it's an energy flow into your venn diagram you know account for it and you're supposed to make a system that can sustain itself so you know yeah so it was fun so anyway yeah yeah it's it's a music uh festival 
and also an educational festival. I, so many people out there are so smart and so deep into their careers and their thing. And they'll all talk to you and tell you it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a campfire with intellectuals willing to honestly debate ideas for real. It's. Uh, and party. Yeah, I love, I love, yeah. Uh. It, well, I, I'm an alcoholic. I quit drinking. Uh, I, <laughs> I drank more than you an ocean but yeah it uh so it it's morphed away from being like party like get drunk and effed up and don't think it's more like come out eat some fungus talk to the trees think about things deeply and really connect with other humans on a level that you can't you know yeah, it's a I call I call it a party because I love connecting on deeper ideas with people and talking about it and fighting about it and arguing about it and thinking about it because it's all system design, right? You just can't see what they see yet. You need to argue long enough until you can at least see what they see. You can still be wrong. <laughs> but you know, yeah, shit. It's it's uh, that sounds like a good weekend. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a way to give back right i'm i'm building that park i mean i can only use it so many days a year and even the days i am out using it so many other people can come out and use it too that's the whole illusion of scarcity it's ridiculous all people that have the second and third house that they never go to and don't allow anyone else to use things like that drive me crazy it's if I'm not using it and you understand some general ground rules not to harm it, well, then fuck, why shouldn't I let you use it too? So yeah, we, we highly encourage, I teach like wilderness survival stuff and I've, I've offered it to some horse camp people and just, yeah, I mean, it's, I have to be careful how I say things now on the air after my letter from yesterday, <laughs> but yeah. I, I want other people to enjoy the space. And yeah, I, I'm not a city park, but my place is cleaner than the city park. It, for a reason, because, you know, I'm mad. I don't put garbage cans out because I don't want you to leave trash. Whatever came in your car is perfectly capable of leaving with you. You know, there's no need to come out of my place and throw trash. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to expand the message of permaculture, right? We, the edge is where the action is. If I just talk to other permies heads, meh. Eh. If I get some young kids out there for a little rock and roll show, and then I get a chance to have coffee with them all day Sunday morning and point out all the living systems and how they're all integrated together and how we can enjoy the land and the animals can enjoy the land and we can farm some stuff and we can have a concert here at the same time. Three-dimensional thinking in time and space. Everybody's so stuck on screens. Hey, hey, wake up. <laughs> Two-dimensional land doesn't exist. That exists. The interconnectedness of all things in three dimensions in time and space. Exclusivity and limited thinking. And it just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. Oh. All things are possible. Don't That's... let anybody tell you shit can't be done. Yeah, 100% agree. And I was like, just start something. Uh, yeah, anything. Start. Just start. And, uh, last question. 
All right, well, one well push. It's sort of this. This is a related question. They just start something. So if somebody moves on to a property, they've learned permaculture. They want to have a profession in it. Uh, so what what advice would you have for them starting out and uh, trying to earn money? practicing have somebody come look at your place with you that knows what they're doing that's been in it a while just god whatever what i mean you have to live within your means don't go kooky but you i would say you don't need a design i mean if you can afford it throw down get what you can get if you want to pay somebody to do the thinking that's okay too really is if you're good at making statues and you make money doing that and you want to pay karmic to do your permaculture thinking for you Take it's don't feel shame in hitting the easy button. They're professionals for a reason. Well, we've talked about the type one errors and laughingly like saving yourself problems. If if you haven't studied land design and energy movement and natural resource movement for a while, you're gonna make huge errors if you don't get a tiny bit of help. Even just like I know there's people over here in the states that'll They'll either like pull the LIDAR satellite data for your place. It, it really zoomed in and even just a look at that. If that's all you can afford to get somebody to do, some people will come out with drones. Like well, that's what really I should have done. Right. Cause I couldn't access my place. I didn't know what I had. I didn't know where it was. I need a guy with a drone and zoom around and footage all that properly for me. Would have, I could have sped stuff up at least two years. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to say you don't know stuff and uh, don't be afraid to get help for sure. Brian, that's great advice. And thanks very much for sharing all yeah. your story with us and all your advice. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a blast. I love to tell the story, as you can tell. Loved it. I know it's great, great hearing it. And uh, for all our guests, uh, thanks very much for listening. Our PDCD Pro course is the links in the description where we teach digital design and technology. So from if you're used to hand drawing your sketching your permaculture designs, you can learn how to present them digitally, just give you that age. And all things like building a website too, AI. And we throw all the sort of technology in there as well. And we have a plant database as well, included in all that. But uh, the link's in the description away. And that's been Brian Norton on the Permaculture Vine podcast. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Harvey. Mm-hmm.